You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. Um, and thank you, Emily, for um, reading that great story. So this is the start of our Easter. Um, so this is the first Sunday of our Easter um, series, and we're looking at this book, which Paula Goody wrote. Gooder, sorry, she's a goodie though. Um, she wrote, and she's going to be, she's going to visit um, in a few weeks um, uh, and, and speak with us. I'm just going to focus on one thing because clearly I'm not a good multitasker. I'm going to try and get this on the screen. Is this coming from my computer at the moment? Okay, let's quit that. Ah, there we go. Great. Easy peasy. I'm starting out. Um, so we're going to, so this week, um, this series, we're looking at Holy Week, which is the kind of the week, the run-up to Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. And I assume we're going to go in chronological order. So it kind of starts with Palm Sunday. Then we've got the, the kind of the condemnation or the judgment of Jesus, the, the crucifixion and murder, death, the resurrection. Um, and we're looking at that through the lens of women who had been around at the time, some of them real, some of them um, are imagined. And today, um, we are looking at the story of this character, Miriam. And this hasn't worked. Um, it's still not working. Click on this. There we go. But I was just thinking about getting started, and Lisa's stand for this, and something's off this morning, and I can't put my hand on it, my finger on it. Has anyone... Has anyone got that feeling? Is it just me? Just me. Okay, we'll carry on. Um, so Miriam's... No, there is something. There is something. And you know when I felt it? I felt it when we were singing and when Nath was talking. There was just something not right. No one? Okay. Um, anyway, Miriam's story. So Miriam, she's, you know what it is. I've got it. I've got it. You know what it is. When Wales play rugby, for the whole weekend, Nathan, probably the same T-shirt, wears Wales colours. Does he not? Nathan, I expected more of a response. Nathan is our senior minister. He's, he's very patriotically Welsh. And when Wales play rugby, he wears the Welsh colours. But he's not in his Wales shirt this morning. This is strange to me. Perhaps, um, um, I don't want to imply anything, but it might be to do with the fact that Italy, Wales played Italy yesterday in the Six Nations, Italy, who were on a 36-match losing streak, went to Wales and they beat them with the last kick of the match. <laughs> I'm not saying it has anything to do with that, but Nath has forgotten his colours. And as it happens, I think that resonates with this story, because Miriam is a Nathan. Miriam is someone who has been caught up in the moment where she's, this, this Messiah rocks up into town. Maybe he could be the Messiah, maybe not, but she has hope. Maybe this is the guy who's going to finally lift the Grand Slam Six Nations trophy. Maybe he's going to boot the Romans out of Israel. We don't know, but she joins in the crowd, the enthusiasm, the passion and the hope. And then a week later, what happens? That same crowd condemns Jesus, or in Nath's case, a day later, he removes the colours and he's, he hides the fact that he's Welsh and a loser. Um, but what has happened in that week? A week later, 
and this crowd that cheered Jesus into Jerusalem are calling for his execution. So a question to you, what's happened? You can call out if you want. If, you, if this is awkward, we'll quickly move on. What's happened? Why, why has the narrative shifted? Perhaps, I, I don't know if this is the case, but perhaps Jesus, who for a moment distilled the hope of Israel, maybe this is the guy who's going to usher in God's kingdom and everyone's hoping and they're caught in that moment and that energy. But he has personified, he's embodied all of that hope. And now a week later, it turns out that that hope was misplaced. So Jesus is not only not the Messiah that they hoped for, but he's the embodiment of the, all of the frustration that Israel had. They're oppressed. They have this hope, but it's not realized. And the, the realization that they have is that God is seemingly indifferent to their, their problems. And Jesus is the embodiment of that. So I imagine when Jesus is put up for trial and the Israel, Israelites are offered, do you want to release this man? They can't even look at that man because Jesus embodies everything that is wrong with their current situation. We put our hope in him and he failed us. Put simply, Jesus is not the Messiah that the Jewish people wanted. We know that, right? And um, I don't want to bum you out, but um, sometimes I wonder whether Jesus is the Messiah, the God that we want, the God that we pray to. And I, I want to leave you with a positive note, so I, I'm going to pick us up a little bit, but I want to go to that, that place. I want to explore that. You see, what we've discovered in years subsequent to those events is that God's kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus was serving and growing, was far greater than the narrative of the Israelites. The Israelites were concerned about a national story, yeah? They had this story that we were, they were the elect people, that they have this relationship with God, and they're the chosen people. But the confusion for them was that their national story was actually a cosmic story, and that's gonna cause some problems. Because their story that they, they held up, and it bound them together as a nation, and they said, we serve the one true God, the one true God is our God, it's pretty awkward because when they realized the, the huge ramifications of it, it's actually, if you serve the one true God, it's not a national story, it's a global story. It's not just a global story, it's a cosmic story. And therefore, the Messiah cannot serve your small agenda. The Messiah has to bring about a change which is beyond your own circumstances. And that's where we are now. We're beginning to realize that this story encapsulates everything and everyone and the hope that we have in it is bigger than our immediate struggles. We have faith in a God and a story that if God is, if God is love, if, think about this from a science perspective, the most basic and profound rules are the ones that all the other rules follow and that when all other logic breaks down, those remain. If God is love, then at the end of the day, love must win. Love must win because it's the most profound truth of the universe. And so we go through these toils, but we remind ourselves that we are rooted in a different story. And so here is a picture I'm having real difficulties from Ukraine. Um, 
Some of you may have seen this image. It's pretty awful. Um, but it's temporary, right? We believe that God has the final victory. This suffering is temporary. It's okay. This is Yemen, the forgotten conflict. It's temporary. This stuff will pass. God's victory is final. We've screwed up our climate and we continue to do so. But don't worry, because it's temporary and God's victory is final. We're divided. But it's temporary. There is not racial equality. There's not racial justice. And then news this week, Child Q, I don't know if, if I'm sure some of you will be aware of this story, but the, the girl who was, school girl, who was strip searched. We have a lack of justice, but it's temporary. And God has the final victory. This is, this should be a comfort to us. And yet, it's not. The, um, the song that they were singing as Jesus um, entered Jerusalem, you know, I was thinking about this song. You know, there's that song that goes, Hosanna, Hosanna. Do you know that one? Hosanna in the highest. This is why I've not been asked to, you know, I'm occasionally given a guitar, but not a mic ever. Um, and it's a really weird song because it's like a song of celebration, but Hosanna means save us. It means save us. This Miriam in this story, she's crying out to be saved. They're saying we're oppressed by the Romans, the Messiah we need. We, we need salvation. We need someone to come in and overturn this system. Hosanna. 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 We need a God. We cry out and pray for a God. We pray for God's kingdom to come and overthrow this awful situation, these awful situations, plural. And um, I, I've, I've found preparing this a challenge um, because I, it, it's just an uneasy tension for me. I, don't, I can't understand the place in which we sit, and I think in many ways, it's a little bit like that Miriam story. You know, Miriam's story, she started by saying that she gets a good trade from, from the Romans. She's, you know, they've got a business agreement and, and they treat her okay, it's all okay, but it's also against the grain. It's not what, it's not the Israelite story. She wants freedom. She wants the freedom to worship her God. And my tension is that, um, that we pray for a radical intervention from God. And we, I, I occasionally go to um, St. George's Cathedral, which is just around the corner. I'm not particularly pious, not particularly holy, but it's a great space to just find some quiet and a bit of perspective. And I sit there and I realize that there are things bigger than me, obviously, that God is greater. And I find myself in this great big story. And I whisper these prayers of things that I cannot 
perceive or understand. But I pray that God would intervene for this Messiah that I want, that is not coming, that things would change. And I pray these prayers. And then I go off and live in a way that direct, directly contradicts my words, my whispers and my hopes. So Miriam prays for the Romans to be booted out, but she's trading with them. We pray for climate justice, and yet, you know, are, are we prepared to make the changes in our consumer habits? We pray and we get righteous anger about slavery. But who here can put their hand up and say the last bar of chocolate they checked to see where it came from, or the last hot chocolate? Because they're harder to they're harder to trace, aren't they? When you get hot chocolate, they don't tell you whether it's fair trade or not, or Rainforest Alliance. So we pray one thing, but actually we live another. That's the tension. That's the, the place I find myself. But there is hope. Because if we look at um, Jesus, the failed Messiah, he was a failed Messiah. He was supposed to liberate Israel, the Israelites, and he didn't. So if we look at Jesus, the failed Messiah, there are indications as to what kind of kingdom he was building, because it was something drastically different from what Miriam hoped for and expected, and it's drastically bigger. You see, we have at some point separated um, spirituality. I don't know how you do this, really, when you start to think about it, but we've separated our prayer and our hope and, our, and spirituality from our everyday life. So we're praying for, for God's intervention, like, God the Messiah, we need you to intervene so we can worship how we, you know, how we want, but we're going to carry on doing business in this way. We need spiritual intervention. I need, I don't even know what that is, that, that kind of spiritual comfort to know that I, I, I have some kind of eternal assurance. But it's that kind of, it's this spiritual thing that's on the side. And I profoundly think that we've, we've completely misunderstood the whole, the whole reality and what Jesus was about. Because Jesus wasn't about, let's set up this nice little trendy state on the side that makes sense of your, your relationship with God. If God is God, if love is love, is lo if love is the greatest rule of the cosmos, and if God is creator, then all is reconciled to that single law, right? There is not one thing that can break it. And therefore, if Jesus is about establishing God's kingdom, then it has, to, it has to ripple through absolutely everything. You can't say, we want God's kingdom, therefore overthrow the Romans, kill them. Because if, God's, if God is God, if all creation belongs to him, all Romans belong to God. And today, um, all Russians belong to God. So we're talking about an idea, a kingdom that is so much bigger, so much complex, and so much more profound than anything that we've imagined. And I think the challenge, as Jesus showed, it's not about some kind of radical military coup, but it's about, it's about reconciling all of us, our whole lives, to a different law. And that law is simple, it's profound, it's not complex, it is love. It's love. It's, it's act this way, the way that Jesus behaved with all of the, his disciples, all of those around him. You can, you can write so many laws and doctrines and, you know, and try to fix this, but it's not fixed. It's 
Love and be gentle. Situations change, but the greatest law of the universe is one that has to encompass everything. And therefore, we can't separate um, the Messiah and spirituality from the way we live. If you want to live spiritually, you've got to live holy. You've got to surrender to this law, which says you, it is against God's command to think badly of yourself. It is. You, you're, not, you're simply not living in the truth if you think badly or lowly of yourself or another person. We've got to reconcile everything to that. And it's a real challenge, a real challenge. There's, um, there's a guy um, called Gustavo Gutierrez, who's um, an incredible guy. Um, he, he's a Peruvian um, priest, and he's kind of the godfather of what's called um, <clears throat> liberation theology. And he said, we take it for granted that Jesus was not interested in political life. His mission was purely religious. Indeed, we have witnessed the iconization um, of the life of Jesus. This is a Jesus of the hieratic, the stereotype gestures, all representing theological themes. In this way, the life of Jesus is no longer a human life um, submerged in history, but a theological life, an icon. There are not two histories, one profane and one sacred, juxtaposed or closely linked. Rather, there is only one human destiny. The work of salvation is a reality which occurs in history, in history. And that, I think, is what Palm Sunday is about. It's about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and establishing God's kingdom in history. It's not about something that is wholly in the future, unknown yet. As we were saying, the great laws of the universe remain. They cannot be broken. But God's kingdom has to be about inbreaking now. It has to be about reconciling all things, our economy now. I had, um, I had a meeting, uh, uh, an interesting, not a meeting, a, a phone call a couple of weeks ago with my wealth manager, which implies a couple of things that are not true. Um, <laughs> but um, I had this call, it's a bit awkward really, because he was probably thinking, you're really not worth my time, but he looks after my pension. Um, and, uh, and he said, oh, I've got a note on the system to say that you're interested in ethical finance. And he said, the thing is, I can't, you know, it, we, we've got no track record for how this performs. So my suggestion is that you just go into the regular pot. And, and so we had this conversation and, uh, and I've lost some money, which I, I think they're just picking on me because I'm a small guy, because that cannot be true across the whole of this investment firm. But, um, but I had to decide, like, do, my, do my values stack up? Do they mean anything? But am I willing to invest my small money in the systems that I bemoan, the systems that I know are not humane, or do I stand by this? And it's, it's hard. And in the end, I, I said to him, I don't want a single penny of my money to be invested in a business that you deem unethical. And they've got all sorts of um, silly criteria. They're like, it's either ethical or, or not, but there's no, like you could, there's a, there's a whole middle ground of, you know, you don't need to plant trees and you can still be ethical. Um, anyway, so I, I said that. And that, I think that is, that's our challenge. That is the challenge of Palm Sunday. If we want to see the Messiah, we've got to be prepared 
to, um, to usher him in in that way. And then I'll just leave you with this other um, kind of story. I've been a bit low on energy this morning, and I apologize for that. I've, I've, had, um, I've had all sorts of health issues. Last night, I slept really badly, and I had a really bad back pain. Um, uh, so that every now and then I turn, and it kind of takes my breath away. So uh, I've kind of been very sedated. And then yesterday, I had, um, I've been getting these funny um, sensations when I eat. And, um, and Ruth, who's, Ruth's my wife, she's a dietitian. She said, oh, you need to go and check, get that checked out. So I gave bloods. And then, um, and then the GP kept texting me. And they said, uh, do Mr. Chalk. Um, uh, nothing to worry about, but you're allergic to wheat. I was like, oh, that's annoying. And then they texted me back again. They went, also milk and eggs. So, All right. And then the next day they said, you can eat fish, but I'm a vegetarian. So it's like, well, okay, thanks. Then the next day they said, soya and peanuts, you're also allergic to. <laughs> it's like this growing list. So, oh, crikey. Anyway, so I had this appointment booked in to go and speak to um, apparently an expert. And I was frustratingly sent to the wrong expert. But they gave, I went to the ENT at Guy's, which is ears, nose, throat. And, um, and uh, we, we had a little consultation. And they said, we just want to check your nose. And something not many people know about me. But well, when the pandemic hit and we had to start wearing masks, I wasn't too sad about that because I've got quite a large nose. And I thought, if anything, this is going to improve my side profile. Um, but lugging such a, a, a large, um, what would you call that, appendage um, around uh, is, is, is dangerous. And I've broken it, I think, five or six times. I don't know, a number of times. Um, but yesterday, they had to they want, go up your nose and then down your throat. Um, and she got this camera out, and, she, and they, they go, just relax. And I, oh, okay, just relax. And I was doing my best, just relaxing. And then they whack it up your nose, and, it, and you just, you know, you can't cry because, well, you just can't. It'd be awkward. So my eye, I promise you I wasn't crying, but my eyes were watery. And, the, and they kept doing this thing where they just kept coming in and then out, and it was so painful. And they said, oh, we're really sorry. There's just a bit of cartilage that we can't get around. It's because of the breakages. But anyway, so they finally, like, scraped it through and then, and then had a little look around. It was so uncomfortable. And then at the end, they went, yeah, we can't see anything. It's like, okay, <laughs> so thank you. And then they said, yeah, what you really need to do is go and see um, an allergy specialist. It's like, okay, so this whole thing, like, no reason whatsoever. But anyway... So, so that happened yesterday, and then I had this awful night, and, and this morning I've just felt like I've had no energy. You know when you have those days, just like, I just feel like I've got nothing to give. And then I, and then I was thinking about, um, about this talk as well, and about how we, we talk about God's kingdom, and it feels like we always have to be, you know, it's God's kingdom, and it's final, and it's, we should be realizing it and if we aren't realizing it then we're spiritually poor you know and it feels like we're not very good christians but i feel but i think that actually we need to be able to come in our absolute ebbs and our weaknesses because this is god's kingdom is absolutely all about realizing it in our lives slowly and realizing it in the lives of people around us which is why we have to stand up for all of the the awful atrocities that, that happen all around us. Nath said 
this morning, why does he love Oasis? Because it's inclusive, which is so important and, and far more profoundly important for many of you than I, who am quite fortuitous in that I've kind of come out just off white and I'm heterosexual. So I, have, I just haven't been, I haven't had to deal with some of the prejudice that other people have had to deal with. I love our church because we're diverse, but we need to be more diverse. I love our church because we're honest and we can question. I love our church because we're fallible. I love our church because we're not scared to air things and ideas and have differences because when we're different and we disagree, we're actually reminded that the big story that unites us is bigger than any they're just trivial things that can sometimes separate us. God's kingdom is vast. It incorporates all people and it demands that we give everything to it. If we want to see God's kingdom come, the triumphal entry of Jesus, it requires us to step up and surrender to Jesus's way of life. Let me pray for you um, and then I'll hand back to the band. God, I thank you for these stories. These stories that are, well, this story, I guess, is, is a relatively new story, but it's a retelling of events that occurred 2,000 years ago. And despite the distance of 2,000 years, um, there are elements of this that challenge us and resonate with us. And although at times we've turned it into some kind of hyper-spiritual detached story that we can only whisper, the truth is that it speaks of a story that we can all relate to, and we all relate to each day. It's a story that we can either opt into each day, or we can opt out of. And God, my prayer for me, for me more so than anyone else, because I can only pray this for myself, is that I would continue to tread the tension between prayers whispered and prayers shouted and prayers lived. I pray that we would become a people who are characterized, who are known for people who pray with our arms open, not open in a holy gesture, but open in a welcoming gesture. When we pray for a different world, we're willing to back that up with our homes and our money. This is an extraordinary challenging invitation and story example given by Jesus. But may we always live in tension with it. May it always be bigger than us. Amen.